I'm David Kerr, and this is my podcast. It's amazing to think back on what our lives were like in the 70s and 80s, growing up in a time before helicopter parenting and before, um, you know, continual connection through uh, cell phones and all the rest. We were latchkey kids, which meant we would get home after school about 3.30 and maybe not see mom until she got home at 6 or 7. And there was a lot that could go on in those couple of hours of unmonitored uh, mischief and boredom. Um, And, you know, just the running wild in a town like Jefferson where, you know, you could go out on your bike on a Saturday morning and maybe not get home until it was dark and mom just didn't know what she did and for the most part we're just farting around and having fun getting into mischief but I mean there was also just yeah it was uh um dangerous in a way (laughs) but at the same time it was a, a lot of freedom involved you know I mentioned in this um story that I'm about to read, a shotgun. And we as kids had access to a lot of guns. We didn't have any guns at my house. By the time I, we moved to Jefferson, I wasn't, my dad wasn't living with us and his 22 and shotgun and all the rest were with him. But my friends all had guns. Their parents did. And um, the guy Nick mentioned in the story Uh, He and I would take the guns out for all sorts of reasons. Probably the dumbest thing that we did, uh, many, many dumb things, was we were in Mrs. Loy's class and we were supposed to to, uh, dress up like historical figures of some sort. And so Nick and I had the idea that we would um, dress up like Indians. Um... And to do that, we thought we should have a headdress with feathers in it. So we took his shotgun and out behind uh, Jefferson on the other side of the train tracks, there's quite a lot of stands of, you know, old oak trees and things like that. Undeveloped stuff. It's probably all housing developments now. But we went out there in search of birds and we just started blasting away at these... uh, birds and then gathering up the remains for our our headdresses well all of a sudden a guy comes barging in this adult man who knows how old he was but um we of course were just you know 13 maybe and accused us of shooting his his truck like we had a scatter shot from the shotgun it pelted his vehicle as he was driving by so he grabbed us, and I think he took the gun away first, and took us to the police station. And then um, Nick was supposed he was supposed to call his parents, and they were supposed to come down and pick him up. I don't know exactly what happened with that, but my mom never found out, and so I just kind of went home after that. 
And I'm not sure exactly what happened with our our project to dress up like Indians, but, um, you know, that was fun when you were 13. And um, so, yeah, this story about the St. Anne raft is, uh, is dear to me just because that, that time just represents complete freedom and lack of responsibility and a time when, you know, the line between my imagination and, and fantasy and reality was non-existent. And so just floating down like uh, Tom Sawyer or, or whoever you want to imagine was, was actually some, just a reality for us. A drag, you know, get down to, close to the bridge, pull the boat out of the water, and drag it through the filbert orchard, hazelnuts, our neighbor's place, and across the street, and I'd be home again. And uh, so um, this is the story, and um, let's see how it goes. Sandy Am Raft. It was autumn. I was 13. My mother drove us to Salem in her tired red Buick to do some clothes shopping for the new school year. We went into Meyer and Frank, a slightly upscale department store, where my mom was hoping to provide my sister and me with an extra boost by sending us to school well-dressed. I dragged my heels through the store, pushing between the overstuffed displays of new clothes with their new smell and crackling static. Later, as we came through the revolving doors into the street, staff were setting up a sidewalk sale. Beach towels, summer blouses, and some sad pool toys in scruffy boxes lined the entrance. My eyes passed lazily over the stacks until they stopped on a rubber raft. The box featured two bright children paddling happily on a lake. Mom, I want this raft. I steered her over to the box, tucked behind the piles of unwanted bathing suits and folding recliners. How much is it? She had just spent too much on clothing and probably wasn't eager to add more to her credit card. It was $21, and I promised to pay her back for my summer job money, earned mostly picking strawberries. Back home, I spread it out on the lawn and started blowing it up with my mouth, puffing into the one-way valve until fireworks danced in front of my eyes. Although it claimed to be a two-person raft, it was just the size for one 13-year-old boy, once fully inflated. This didn't stop me from inviting my friend Nick to float down the Sanium River that passed by our house. We begged a ride up to Greensbridge and took turns blowing it up before pushing off into the water and settling into the raft with our long limbs hanging over the sides. The bridge crossed the north fork of the Sanium, and we floated for about two hours through fields and groves of cotton trees before it joined up with the South Fork, broadened and slowed, flowing sluggishly another couple of hours to Jefferson Bridge. On these long floats, we seldom saw another human. The lonely waterways meandered through fields, now fallow, as fall advanced. We could sneak into the fields and steal carrots the harvesters had missed, crunch on them as we floated, leaving a trail of green circling behind us. There was very little excitement in the early years of floating the river. Later, as our teen years hardened, 
we started bringing a filched bottle of whiskey, or once, a shotgun. Those long floats marked the slow passage of my life from carefree childhood to a fraught adolescence. Sometimes, we would get dropped off in the afternoon and float halfway to the confluence of the rivers and camp there for the night in an ugly little pup tent. One night, we shared the riverside with two brown horses, and when a lightning storm blew in during the night, our raft banged against the tent while the panicked horses wheeled and whinnied around us. In all those years floating, right through my final summer after high school, I never took the raft past Jefferson Bridge. Another four hours would have taken us to the Willamette River, then who knows how long to the Columbia and out to sea. We could have caught the North Pacific gyre and been swept down to Mexico. Instead, the old raft was tucked away on a shelf in my dad's garage, much scraped and punctured and badly repaired. It's probably there still, smelling faintly of the musty Sanium River, the squelching mud dried to grit in the rubber folds. That raft bobs through many of my best memories of childhood. It is large in my memory, floating low in the water, with tiny bubbles coming up the side from a leak. If I could stretch it out on the lawn, it would probably be a small and shriveled thing, not the glorious container of my memories, which held me through the, my passage from childhood to my larger yet somehow diminished future. <laughs>